Hey, very good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Sean. This is Alex. And you're listening to another episode of Coaster Kings Radio. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about Puerto Aventura World. This is part of our Inside series, which we launched an episode a long time ago about Magic Mountain. What we did is we went into Six Flags Magic Mountain, did a grand old lap around the park and talked about everything in its way. We're practically going to continue doing that, but we're going to do it on a more global scale. And uh, we're, we've been talking about Puerto Aventura among ourselves for so long now, and we're excited to talk to you about it. So uh, that's what we're practically doing today. Uh, a virtual tour, and we're going to discuss all the attractions along the way. We talk about Port Aventura a lot. More than we should. In September, we were there for quite some time. We gave ourselves a lot of time to really take it all in. So it's a pretty big resort. It's one of the few like two two park resorts out there. Um, especially when you consider two park resorts that are not Disney. So there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to do. Um, it's big, which is which is cool. Um, I would start by saying that the bigness of it is definitely one of its better qualities. Yeah, so quick background here. Uh, Port Aventura, designed by Tibudabo Group and Anersher Bush Group. And then by the time it opened in 1995, it was um, majority by the Tussauds Group, uh, but also partially by Kaiha Group and Anersher Bush. Lots of Bush Gardens vibes, pretty much, because yeah. it was designed by Anheuser Bush, obviously. Yeah. And then in 1998, the Sos Group sold the majority of the stakes to Universal, and then Universal rebranded the resort as Universal's Port Aventura. In 2002, Universal invested more money into the resort and turning it into an actual resort previously, which is a theme park. As of 2002, they opened Costa Caribe, which is the water park, and the first two hotels, Hotel Port Aventura and Hotel El Paso. And then they renamed the resort to Universal's Mediterranean, with Universal's Port Aventura being the park within that resort. Um, two years later, they dipped. They said, okay, 2004, we're out. We're going to sell every bit of interest that we have in Port Aventura. And starting in 2005, the name was changed back to Port Aventura, but spelled as one word versus two words because of licensing issues. And now, looking ahead, 19 more years, so 2023. Seven hotels, two theme parks, and latest attendance figures of 2022 show 3.7 million guests. So there we are. For And that's just for Port Aventura. It doesn't even count for Ari Land, does it? No, that's for the whole resort. Oh, it so is that for includes the whole resort. Costa Caribe, okay. yeah. Port Aventura Park, and, and Ferrari Land. But neither Costa Caribe nor Ferrari Land draw that many visitors when yeah. you look at the overall balance, True. I don't think. Yeah. It's definitely a resort dominated by one park with the tiny second park and the, you know, fairly modest uh, water park. Um, and then a pretty, I think the, the resort area with the whole hotels and stuff is actually one of the nicer aspects of the whole property. Um, where we were staying, we kind of walked from one end of the resort area to the other, to the resort entrance of the park. And I thought it was like the prettiest thing that the park had it seemed really well maintained and detailed and cute and it's just a really nice overall way to start or finish your uh, your day at the resort by being on the resort area yeah i agree because it's it's nicely linked to the far west well most of the resorts because we stayed at um, the coyote creek the colorado creek yes we stayed at colorado creek i thought it was coyote creek no definitely not it's colorado creek 
which is part of the um, the far west of so- hotel cluster over by um, Hotel Gold River and Lucy's Mansion, and that's all connected with the far west yeah, area. Color, color. You're right. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I know. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, that's where we stayed. And there's also resorts on the Mediterranean side, um, which is the first area we'll be talking about. So the main entrance to Puerto Ventura is the Mediterranean area. Which is home to, you know, Furus Baco. Yeah. Probably my favorite roller coaster on resort. Yeah. Certainly one of the most memorable experiences is, is the, your ride, for better or for worse, your ride on Furious Baco will certainly be memorable. Um, it's a one of a now rare, or an increasingly rare breed of intimate hydraulically launched coasters. And um, it's the only hydraulically launched wing coaster in the world. Um, Intamin's really only product in this particular product line of coasters, uh, where it's like a tried and true B and M style wing coaster, unlike some of the uh, like hyper coasters and things like um, like Skyrush, for example, or Flying Aces that use um, a different kind of train system with like wing seats. I will say it's going to become an apparent theme throughout the entire episode, but. A big thing of Puerto Ventura is that it's not maintaining, it's theming, it's not maintaining, it's landscaping, it's not very clean. And the first place you're going to see that is the Fidus Baco um, pre-show. So before you launch, there is a pre-show, it uses the screens and several animatronics. None of the animatronics have worked in years. The moving door doesn't work. It's, it's just so sad. All of it's not really working, unfortunately. It's all, the only thing that's still working is, is, the, is the TV screen, really. In fact, wasn't it Andrew who said that there used to be, like, barn doors that opened? Right, yeah, so those were the doors that he's mentioned. And then those broke, and then they put, like, a basic rolling garage door type thing to replace it. That broke, and and still didn't fix it. So, like, even the the Band-Aid broke. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's kind of creepy, because you're in the pre-show, and you see all these animatronics just hanging there, and they don't do anything. It kind of makes the story really awkward. And then you just take off. And they can just take off. Ride itself, it's one of those rides you're like, I can't believe they built this. It's yeah. so wild. Um, definitely. A little jackhammering, definitely in the wings. But exactly, but Rebel. I really feel like the reason I love it so much is because every time I get back to that breaker, I'm like, what, what? the hell just happened? That's crazy. And that's the thing why I like the ride so much. Um, and then about the queue, the queue is just an amazing amount of switchbacks. The ride is very popular and the capacity isn't great. So you have a giant uh, vineyard outside that is a queue, and then you have a really big building that's all just switchbacks. Miserably hot in there, no matter what time of day. Just a heads up, I would definitely recommend either rope dropping it or trying to get in line right before they close for the, the night, which you need to check when the ride closes because it closes early due to the fireworks show on the lagoon, Fiesta Aventura. But um, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on Furus Baco. Yeah. The rest of the area... This like Mediterranean area, it's kind of meant to be inspired by the immediate landscape of Barcelona, and it's cute. Um, we had tapas at the main restaurant there, which was really enjoyable. the The main hotel, the Port Aventura Hotel, is sort of built in to the entrance plaza approach. Um, when we were there, they had like decorations and stuff. They had like string lights, like Christmas lights and stuff, hanging from everything. Don't they leave that stuff year-round? Yeah, it looks a little tacky because it's clearly it's Christmas so lights and it was September. It was they have all awkward. this beautiful architecture here. And they throw string lights not only on like all of the buildings and stuff like throughout the park, but also on the parade floats for the parade that they run through this area of the park so that it can be a nighttime parade. 
Just like what really, it's just daytime floats with cheapest, Christmas lights. It's kind of draped bizarre. over. It's very cheap. The nighttime show in the lagoon is pretty cool. It was really cool. It's a whole over from the Universal, universal days. But guest seven two has highlight of the night. Yeah. They have um, what are those uh, waterboard thingies called again that you're on? Uh, flyboards. Waterboards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, flyboards. They not waterboards coming out of the water. They have a uh, bunch like of a um, hover floats, hoverboard, like a water jetpack type things. They have a bunch of floats that are coming and going depending on the scenes and then all the scenes are related to the areas of the park so there's like a far west scene a china scene and a polynesian scene it's actually quite nice that's one of the highlights of the resort for sure i love that show so unfortunately like what we talked about with furious backos pre-show being broken and disappointing and the queues being hot and uncomfortable and stuff being under maintained is definitely the tone that continues throughout your experience um when you enter Mediterranean and you hang a right, you will continue to the Polynesia area of the park. And the signature attraction in Polynesia is Tutuki Splash, which is a massive um, shoot-the-shoot ride with two drops. It's like one of the only scenic extended shoot-the-shoot rides. Um, if you were a fan of the tidal wave at Busch Gardens, Tampa... Um, this was definitely a project inspired by that. This was also being built the same time that Escape from Pompeii was being built. So, like, Bush was really all in as far as, like, taking the standards, intimate spill water, um, shoot-the-shoot rides, and, like, elevating them to, like, these major attractions that had unconventional layouts and landscaping and scenery. And even in the park map, even on the website, Tutuki Splash is, like, this massive attraction that garners a lot of attention it's a big volcano and like in the park map it's got like this giant like king's dominion sized looking volcano with like smoke billowing out of the top and then you ride it <laughs> yeah and in reality it's poorly maintained rock work with a million and one plastic bottles floating around the water it's a very sad state of affairs for Tutuki splash from a distance, it looks cute, but like everything you put in the two, like the closer you get, the worse it gets. Yeah, and it's just bottles. honestly just a giant. You know, have you heard of that giant island of plastic in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that's like the size of France? Yeah. Imagine like a small version of that. It's just plastic trash all over the ride. It doesn't even resemble a volcano anymore. I, I can't. I can't even fathom that it ever was because it just. It, it looks like it's nothing but a empty shell with a. Flew through it. It's, it's just, just not, so sad. Because like the turnaround at the top before the big drop, you're supposed to be at the mouth of the volcano, and it's supposed to be this uh, like lagoon of sorts with effects and probably water features and stuff. And it's just this like abandoned, stagnant water like cesspool. Like it's gross, and it's not even just bad or poorly maintained, but it's like disgusting and probably a breeding ground for bugs and stuff. So it's just it's just a pity. It's another. It's already our second example of a ride that was built really well at the very beginning and potentially exceeding its expectations and potential and then just being left to rot and deteriorate. I will say the area itself isn't terrible. There's a lot of life entertainment. The Bora Bora restaurant has like these has amazing food. It's probably one of the best quick service restaurants you've encountered in Europe, I would say. For yeah, theme definitely. Park. So I've got to give them highlights, and there's a lot of entertainment. There's a major stage show that's outside. There's um, Polynesian dancing and all that kind of stuff that's inside of the Bora Bora restaurant. Just this year, they relaunched some 
the Bora Bora restaurant with a whole new menu, which is pretty good because our correspondent uh, Andre went there. So, I'll just consider it's not all bad in the area. The swinging ship is gorgeous, but Tatuki Flesh, which is, is the highlight of the area, it could not be in a worse shape right now, to be honest yeah. with you. But let's move on from that. Let's head to Sesame Street. Oh, uh, yes. So, an offshoot of Polynesia is Sesamo Adventura, which um, the kitty area originally opened without an intellectual property attached to it and was a subsection of Polynesia. Um, and the park's kitty coaster, their little Vacoma roller skater. Tommy, Tommy. Tommy, Tommy. Yeah. It, it, even though it's part of Sesame Street now, the, the kitty coasters always had that same um, name. So it's like a, it's like a Polynesian jungly Sesame Street, um, at least at the beginning. The parts of it that are close to Polynesia kind of carry that theme, all the stuff that was repurposed. But as you continue into the area it kind of transforms into yeah, some other stuff. Yeah, once you cross stuff. the train tracks, literally, it's like a different theme. Yeah. So, like, they expanded. They've continued to expand on the Sesame Street theme, like, with the with the shooting dark ride. Um, street Mission. That's yeah. Sesame Street, which is an excellent dark ride. A really enjoyable modern shooter that, like, um, the, the Q pre-show sequence with, like, the Grover animatronic and stuff was wonderful. Um, but I guess... It's it's easy for Port Aventura to do something really well early on, um, but based on the trends that we've seen with other attractions and stuff built, it seems almost inevitable that the ride will deteriorate um, and be ill-maintained and that they'll put Band-Aids on it like they did with some of the other attractions and it'll just be a shadow of its former self. So it's in a one way we feel kind of lucky to have ridden it when it was new because we actually get to ride it when it was good and well-intended. Luckily, it wasn't so new, so it is in a pretty decent shape. I think the licensing may have to do with that because yeah. it's a licensed attraction, so at the end of the day... Oh, remember the styrofoam on the side of the building? I think that was elsewhere in the uh, oh, area. Like everywhere, though. The but whole like, resort it was like styrofoam, yeah. but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that was that wasn't... Because that's um, one of the newer That's right, there was a Sesame area. For the Sesame yeah. area. The whole side it, of the building was just styrofoam and uh, if you bump your stroller against it there's like little white styrofoam bubbles would just like literally fall off it was the wildest yeah um but i don't want to spend too much time on this area because low-key there really isn't much to talk about besides that that's pretty cute i think what we should move on to next is um china which um three major e-tickets yeah i think we should start this with really like more, the biggest, nobody knows about it this is really the biggest area of the park by far in fact, it was probably already the biggest when it opened, um, but it, they also had a lot of room to expand. And they've moved on not to just... Um, they've moved on to outside of China and into, like, Thailand and um, oh, Cambodia, Cambodia for um, some of the expansions. But the original Chinese portion includes, like, a little vi- uh, Chinese village and then... Um, the Great Wall, like a like a Beijing area as well, like a Forbidden City, um, and Dragon Con is in a Forbidden City, yeah, which is obviously the B and M Looper inspired by Kumba. When it opened, most inversions in the world, eight inversions, mm-hmm. which is pretty sick. Was it as good as Kumba? Honestly, it wasn't no. as good as Kumba. It's a great ride, but Kumba has a sort of snappiness to it and a sort of flow in its layout with some really nice transitional moments. And of course, the final helix um, to the 
that degree, Dragon Con just felt like it was just inversion, 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 inversion. I, I love a good inversion, but I felt like there was not even a single moment that was a transition. It was almost all just inversions. Yeah. Like, the transitions were the inversions to the point where I almost kind of felt like I was missing something despite literally having, you know, eight inversions in that layout. So, uh, I will say, though, that the queue is really gorgeous. The exit is really cool where you go to, like, Chinese Garden. Station's cute. Like, the overall vibe of the ride is is iconic, and yeah. it's nice, and I really appreciate it. Was the ride itself as good as I'd expect? No, I've so far the Hulk and yeah. Kumba, the better, the better rides. Yeah, as Floridians, well, I guess as, as people who live in Orlando, I should say, um, we're really quite spoiled with two B&M sit-down loopers that just kill it in, in most capacities, and... We were really excited for Dragon Con, and we were ready for Dragon Con to like be our new favorite, and it just did not quite live up to the expectations. It was a little rougher than I was expecting. Do you agree? Yeah, originally, it was the ride I think we looked forward to the most. I think it, it wasn't quite the, what yeah, we expected it's definitely it to be. the one I was looking forward to the most, and it just fell a little short. And before we forget, since we're on the China topic, I want to quickly run in there that there's a whole section of China that has these beautiful gardens and flat rides. And stores, and it's really nice. And this restaurant yeah, that was closed our, our visit, what is yeah. it, a Marco Polo restaurant? Yeah. That's suddenly has reopened since. But mm-hmm. then there's a whole riverfront area where right. there used to be a river boat ride. And mm-hmm. that's really sad because it was gorgeous. There's a stage, and you know, there used to be this boat ride that went all around the park, including through China. That's all just like abandoned. You can still walk over there, but it's really sad like broken rock work, stagnant pools. It's really sad. If you want to have a close look at that, you can look at our Port of Ventura vlog on YouTube. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but let's talk some more about coasters. Yeah. So then you, after behind Dragon Con, you have um, the Himalayas. You have Shambhala, which it's um, the silhouette of Shambhala is meant to represent the Himalayas. And um, this this is an extremely well loved roller coaster. People talk about this ride. They, people who traveled all over the world say it's a great ride. Um, I found it enjoyable. Um, it, it also suffered, I think, from the same because I was ready for for Dragon Con to be my favorite of its kind, and I was also I had high hopes, high expectations for Shambhala. Um, for us, the dispatch threshold was very tight um, to the point where it did. It made it like I was. We were so snug in this ride that like it was harder to enjoy um, what was there on the coaster. And like obviously we're not the skinniest people in the world, but I also don't think we're the biggest. So and and we've heard of people either having trouble um, comfortably riding or even being able to ride at all um, just because the dispatch threshold is so low. And, like, writing it is one thing and being able to say, like, oh, I wrote it, you know, I got the credit or whatever. But then, like, enjoying it is another thing entirely. And I was so distracted by how uncomfortable my rides were. I wrote it twice, and both times it was like I was barely able to to get out, like, of the station. And I just spent my whole ride, like, experiencing this discomfort and not really being able to focus on any other aspects of it. I will say that Shambhala has this presence to it that even when you're really far away at the Kagotagagana train station, for example, that you can see it looming in the distance. It it definitely has kind of like a powerful yeah. has a powerful presence in that park, which is really nice because of course Ferrari Land has Red Force and both of them are the top three tallest ghosts in Europe. But it just has this presence which I find really cool because even at night the trains 
um, have LEDs on them. So you see the train just kind of coasting through the darkness through like the starry sky. I do think that presence-wise, it's a really cool ride. But then even the queue, really busy, just a bunch of switchbacks. And then there's just so much trash. So if you cross oh the God. bridge from the queue into the station, it's just bushes full of like hundreds of water bottles. I just can't believe how completely dirty this park is. Like, clean your shit up. The water, the water bottle it. thing is crazy. So there's this... The park is just inundated with these blue plastic water bottles because when you stay on resort, you get two free bottles of water from this company, and the and the blue and the bottles are like um, colored like this unnatural blue color. It's like the purpose is to reuse them, and people bring them into the park and drink them, and then they just throw them everywhere. So there's like plastic blue bottles cascading down the the plants around the. Shambhala area and like in the ponds, the water features in the plants, just everywhere. And then the LED thing that you were talking about on the trains is actually not a decorative LED, but an LED floodlight for riders to purchase their uh, a video of their onboard experience on a roller coaster, which sounds kind of cool, except for that it completely ruins night rides on these coasters. Shambhala and Various Baco both have it. And, like, we got furious backhoe rides at night that was just, like, riding a coaster with a flashlight in your face. And what would have been a really great nighttime ride experience was just totally marred by this this goofy cash grab uh, advent of, uh, of a record yourself on a roller coaster at night thing. Um, but that those kinds of annoyances and disappointments just, just start to become, like, really... Uh, typical of your experience at Port Aventura. Yeah, and then there's a bunch of other small stuff that we'll get into a little bit later, um, like operationally, that that, that makes no sense to Definitely. me. But we'll dive into in a little bit. I do want to mention before we move on to the next area, Encore, which is a splash battle and it's interactive area. Of course, none of the water features off the ride can be used for free, so you better have money with you uh, if yeah. you want to play any game. And then on ride, it's kind of like a mix of an outdoor dark ride with a bunch of scenes. And a splash battle, but there is so much of the ride where you can't really splash each other that you're just kind of sitting there looking around or you can't reach the other boats, which is a bit of an awkward situation. I do like the ride because it rode it a bunch. We had a good time. We had a good time on it. It was um, the theming, while horrendously maintained and all falling apart, is more than I've ever seen in a splash battle. So, like, you know, once upon a time, it really must have looked really nice. <laughs> you know? Just Port Aventura thing. Just Port Aventura thing. So everything they ruined a good thing. Like, oh, all this must time. have looked great when it opened. Yeah, so that's practically what it feels like over <laughs> there. It, it feels very much that the company who operates it, um, it's just an investment for them. They're not, a, they're not a theme park management company historically. It feels like they just put a lot of short-term money into it to try and raise that value until they inevitably sell the park. But... It just doesn't feel like it's loved. I just don't feel like anyone that owns the park is loving the place, is putting any love into it. It's just like cash cowing it. That's kind of the vibe I got after staying there for four full days, four nights. Like we, we did the full resort thing. Mm-hmm. We did it all, the pool, the bars, the everything. So I feel like I'm justified to kind of say that I did not feel the love at any moment. Yeah. Criticism that um, – like we've spent a lot of time in China and doing theme parks in China – and the common the criticism of Chinese parks that's most common is that they seem to build things and then they just kind of let them deteriorate. And I would say maybe not quite to the same extreme extent as like a Happy Valley Park, but in ways there were ways that Port Aventura reminded me of that a lot because when they build something, they really just build it once and it's built and it's done 
and the way that it deteriorates our ages is just the way that it goes. And if various qualities and aspects of a ride deteriorate or disappear or just, you know, fall off (laughs) and tumble into the ocean, it's just like, well, we already got our money's worth. Like their idea of, of, of maintaining a ride is like keeping it operational, but any of the little details and stuff that went into the ride when it was being developed, it's just irrelevant now because the ride's already open. I will say that the bones from anything pre-current company are really good, especially Universal, put such high-quality money into the place that there's still infrastructure that feels like it has really good bones. Um, That's the majority of the Mexico area. Um, to a degree, even Fuzz, Baco's Q and everything, because that was also contracted back in the Universal days. So you just opened when yeah. they already dropped, you know, It the feels resort. like Busch Gardens Williamsburg, but like a four corners of the earth. Yeah, like, and like there is still a lot that feels like it has very, very solid ground. But then everything that's new, it just feels like it's cheap, already falling apart, even if it's only a few years old, which is really unfortunate. I don't want to be too negative about the park, because, you know, it's an enjoyable place, but I just... Like I said before, I just don't feel like it's, it's, it's as frustrating. Loved. It's a frustrating park. So let's all head over to Mexico, which is the next on the loop. Uh, Mexico is home to uh, a famous attraction like Temple de Fuego, which is kind of like a Poseidon's Fury attraction that we have here at Universal Under Resort, but then the fire version of it. And that's at um, Puerto Ventura, of course. And then you have Huracan Condor, which is a giant Intamin second-generation drop tower with stand-up seats. Florida seats, well, standard Florida seats, and just sit down seats, I guess. Mm-hmm. And oh, and a sit down tilting seat. That's right, the yeah. sit down tilting seats. And you have El Diablo, the big mine train, and a great collection of flat rides. Like, I think Mexico may be my favorite area. Forested, everything there is from the yeah. pre current management era. So, everything is kind of like you know, the buildings aren't falling apart. The, the old buildings, they, they are starting to age beautifully in that sense. And I really like this area. I had a great time spending time here. Um, the drop tower is not quite the... It's not as well-maintained as it could be, but it's not glaringly neglected the way that, like, Tutuki Splash is. Um, it's got a really amazing presence. It just, like, really captures... Your, the, the eye. It's like a 300-foot t- tall drop tower. Yeah. It's and a giga the, drop tower. And the views of the Mediterranean are just Stunning. spectacular. We rode yeah. it several times because it was... It's that was one of my favorite rides there. Riding right? it, so we were much. like, this is one of the greatest drop towers in the world. Like, I just can't get enough of this thing. So we sampled a couple of different seating positions. Really enjoyed that ride. And then... Um, and it takes a photo on top. Like, when you get to the top, it has those cameras that hang out. and uh, yes. Take a picture of you as you drop. And honestly, it's a really great photo uh, location because we actually bought it. It was great. I mean, it has a stunning presence because it's supposed to be like this supernatural beam of of that shut out the earth and that, destroys like, shooting this temple. out the roof of a temp- of a temple. So, like, it, it's just a visionary attraction that just screams Universal Creative. Like, it's just so clear that this was like the last truly creative element in this park before. It, new management took over and just started phoning everything in. Um, and then I'd also say, so El Diablo Train de la Mina um, wound up being like my favorite coaster in the park because it was, it felt like it had a great presence. It was well-maintained. It exceeded my expectations. Um, beautifully landscaped, great interaction with other attractions. 
Um, just a strong overall ride. Yeah, I, the layout is, is fantastic. It's it must be my favorite Arrow Mine Train by far. Definitely. Long, good layout. It's really smooth. Speed doesn't really feel like it's repeating itself, which, you know, it's honestly kind of a wonder that it's even possible on a Mind Train coaster because you feel like all of them kind of feel like they repeat themselves. But that was really great about it. Downside, though, of these Aero Trains is you have your three rows per car. Front row has legroom. Second row has less legroom. Last row has, like, practically no legroom. I don't know why they designed it like that. Probably because of the wheels. Just not great. And in typical Port Aventura um experience they will absolutely not let you choose your row even if you're freaking I mean, there's no way they will not let you choose your row they assign your row and even if you're clearly the tallest person in the queue if you sit in that back of a car and you can't fit they don't care that's what they assigned you and that's kind of frustrating and the station could be empty the station was empty there. we still couldn't pick a row and that was the case in all the rides and you know i don't really care that much we got lucky with um Fudus Baco being in the front of the back we've got lucky here and there and I generally don't care, but if it really comes down to like it being a seat where whether or not it physically fit in the ride or not, and they're just going to be like, oh, well, can't sit there. And I'm just kind of like, come on, guys, it hurts. Like there was a time, like there, I really wanted to session Train de la Mina, but every time we rode it, we were sort of rolling the dice. Like, are we going to get a row that's, that's comfortable, comfable, or, a row that's or are we going to get a row three of a car and the ride operators are going to be like, well, sorry, that's the way it is. Like, sucks to suck. Like, there's just, and I understand that they're just doing their job as it's told to them but god like i what is it about the management in this park that is just so uh, they're so policy driven on policies that don't even matter um or at least policies that are not accomplishing what they think they're accomplishing at a huge price at, at, like so you want to be efficient but at what cost like when when your ride has an empty station like why are you forcing people to sit in uncomfortable rows when you know this ride this is your ride you know that some rows have more leg room than others you've got a six foot six coaster enthusiast in your park and it's like they're just so these people have been told they have no choice but to follow this policy and the policy is just so matter of fact and and doesn't even seem to assist in the experience at all i do want to say that like obviously i respect policies and understand there's a reason for policies it's when there's you know, situations like this that it's more frustrating to the visitor than it is. Because it wasn't just us. I've seen all these people be like, oh, can I please sit in the front row? Or like, my kid wants to sit in the back. And it was a no. But the whole station's empty. I'm like, let the kids sit in the yeah. back. Like, what is the big deal? You know, you know, and I get, again, I get the policies are there for a reason. But it doesn't necessarily improve the experience is what I'm trying to get at. Especially and, since their operations suck anyway. Their dispatches are still terrible. Even when they're over here assigning rows and stuff. Like... Dragon Con, they fill the train, they get rows assigned, like, whatever. But then it still takes, like, five minutes for them to send the train. So, it's like, there's just, there's really no part of some of these policies where there's success or some sort of gain from doing it. Um, and then Temple de Fuego, also in the area, really, really popular ride, uh, well, attraction. Since COVID, it was, it was seasonal, so we missed it, but it has since reopened again, so... Hopefully on our next visit, which I'm not that motivated to run right back to Puerto Ventura, but on our next visit, I'm trying to get Temple de Fuego, because I was actually really looking forward yeah. to that. For yeah, me month. too. Uh, let's go ahead and head on to uh, Far West. By far, the largest area in the park It stretches practically like a third of the park. It's well, I massive. Thought, I thought China was biggest. 
No, I think Far West is because it starts a little bit by the Mediterranean Harbor and goes all the way to Mexico where the hotels are. It is quite big. Because it has Grand Canyon. It has, like, the Silver River area. It's definitely a big area. It's almost like three sub-areas. Especially if you consider the hotel. Oh, the hotel cluster, yeah, for sure. And it's half the resort. Um, Speaking of going back to Port Aventura, if, if there was a reason to go back to Port Aventura, like for us... It would be to check out the new um, Uncharted roller coaster, but um, I don't really like. I would like to go, but I'm not like desperate to go. So, if you are curious about what Uncharted offers and how it's operating, just visit thecoastergames.com. We've got a full review on the homepage of Uncharted. We were there to the opening. Um, we were invited. We appreciate Port of Two for doing so. So, if you want more details on that, you can find it there. We personally have written it, but Andre and Alex, our correspondents, have written it. And so, I think as Sven and um, Emma, because they all went, like, the week yeah. after we were in Spain. So, they've all written it. Their reviews are online. So, um, it looks cute from the outside. But, you know, if you come to the far west, there's two great water rides. Grand King of Rapids is um, visually pretty cute. Great. It was It was attractive, but it was... I didn't hate it because I didn't get too wet on it. Yeah. I kind of like a good water ride. There was some speed to it. I felt like I was going really fast for Rapids Ride, which is just a Spanish thing, I guess, because Parker Warner's water Rapids Ride is also crazy fast. Um, and I just thought it was visually pretty pretty stunning. It had, like, the old rock work. Like, it was all in decent shape. I didn't mind not getting wet. But, yeah, you are right. There wasn't a whole lot going on on that ride. I was a bigger, much bigger fan of the log flume. Um, it's one of the last, Silver if, River? if not the last, yeah. Silver River was either one of the last or the last aerodynamics log flume. Uh, it's beautifully integrated with Train de la Mina, um, and has, and it's one of the only aero flumes I've ridden, if not the only aero flume I've ridden that has three full drops. It's a very tall ride that's like situated on a split level. So both the mine train and the log flume are benefactors of the topography in this area of the park. Originally, they were supposed to be in a cupboard, like in a mountain of sorts, which would have been really cool. But I also, with them being outside, the sequences being outside, I'm kind of like, I like being able to see all of the aspects of the ride. For sure. And it's like, honestly, that part of the park is very terrainy. There's a lot of height differentiation. So Silver River is this really cool, almost like terrain flume where a lot of it happens. And then there's this giant drop at the very end back towards, like, you know, lower up or lower down there. Mm-hmm. I really liked the differentiation of, of terrain there. And it's just a good flume. Like, it's a really good flume, for sure. And then there's Stampeda, <laughs> which I was expecting the worst. But honestly, I didn't hate Stampeda. I call her Dueling Wagons because it's from the Universal era. Um, yeah, you go through a red-covered wagon or a blue-covered wagon. When with you choose which, which station you want to go to. So, doing dragons. So, that was really neat. And uh, overall, yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest layout, but it is a very unique ride, the way that it races itself. And there's some good airtime, some good laterals. I didn't hate the trains. Um, you got to watch out. If you don't sit right, you can smash the hell out of your knees on the bare metal that's right oh, in yeah. front of you. That's that, definitely that the biggest downside. But other than that, it tracked pretty well. So um, I was, you know, holding on pretty good and pushing myself into my seat. But I have mostly enjoyable rides. And I think we rode that at least four or five times. I, we were on Stampeda a lot. And the line at night wasn't that bad for it. Yeah. And then they also have Tomahawk, the little kitty coaster that we've attached through, to yeah. it. Which it's a miracle that we were able to fit. Like, we were squished into one of those little junior, pe- uh, junior uh, gravity, no, junior 
GCI, GCI trains. Lenny Flyers, yes, yeah. And it was like, I can't believe they were able to dispatch us. It was literally so uncomfortable, but it was also just hilarious that we were able to get on and ride. And Tomahawk is a pretty cute ride. That's like a it's, cute ride. It's real good for a kiddie coaster. But I'll say sort of Stampede was actually a highlight for me. We rode it quite a bit. Um, it's one of those rides that has a presence. I kind of that that corner of the park kind of gave me roller coaster tycoon three vibes. Or oh yeah, all the theming for a Wild West area, and you know there was you know, the big the the three really Wild West wooden coasters. That just you know it was it was a vibe. I actually really liked the Far West. I had a good time in that area, and then the way that's all connected to the hotel cluster with Hotel Gold River, Lucy's Mansion, and Colorado Creek, it made for a really impressive complete land with not the best maybe like second best when it came to like overall appearance and how things were kept in my opinion yeah yeah and then from here you continue around the river rapids ride is actually pretty close to the entrance of the park that's the first attraction really close. you see it from the entrance that you, yeah. yeah that when you enter the area and you see like the lagoon over the mediterranean area on top of the lagoon like o- over the mesa is where the rapids ride is so that brings your uh, your Port Aventura world or your Port Aventura amusement park uh, experience full circle, but then there's still one more major theme park component uh, to this experience, and that is Ferrari Land. Before we move to Ferrari Land, I want to recap a little bit about Port Aventura, the park itself. It's massive. It has great bones, great landscaping. Overall, it's one of those parks where if it was in the right hands, I think it has the potential to be like in the top ten, the top five of the world even. It has that potential. Definitely. I am sad that it's not operated by Universal anymore. We've all heard the rumors of it potentially returning to Universal. Be really great. Will it really happen? I don't know. We'll see. But that would be really great because I do feel like if if it's in the right hands and it's being fixed up properly, this resort can really rival some of the big players like Robo Park, Disneyland Paris, um, Efteling, Fantasyland, like it really could be part of like you know the top five European parks. Right now, because of the way it's operated and the way the shape that it's in, I just don't quite have the same feeling and love for the park. Despite I did like our hotel stay, we'll say the hotel was good. Um, we did stay arguably like in the top two nicest hotels. So we did, you know, if you have the chance, Colorado Creek is very nice. Yeah, that's what I probably have to say about the park itself. Um, I don't want to go too deep into the policies and, and the little things that, that were bothersome because, you know, every park has, has its flaws. I think we laid in we enough on that already. Well. So uh, let's head next door to Ferrari Land. So Ferrari Land, which is an interesting choice, um, is like a, a second gate. It's It's definitely big enough to be... It's it's probably it was bigger than any of Port Aventura's lands, I think, but it's still quite small compared to the other gate. Um, there's a there's a mix of attractions. There's nothing that really stands out except too much. for Red Force. Hmm? Except for Red Force. Red Force. Force. Yeah, Red Force is the one ride that stands out for sure. Um, lines at this place get crazy because attendance for its size is probably great for what it is and then it's just packed with people trying to ride stuff so like it's so funny because it is an add-on like it's everything is like an hour <laughs> like if you buy a resort stay it comes with one evening or one afternoon at Puerto Ventura I mean at uh, Ferrari Land and the rest is all Puerto Ventura yeah that's pretty interesting about um, it so they've got like the two indoor rides they have a Back to the Future-esque motion simulator experience 
Um, or Simpsons for those. Or who Simpsons, don't know. yeah, with using yeah. that kind of ride system, um, which was okay. It was just pretty. That's basic. Racing Legends, a little basic. For us, you stand the queue forever, and they have like a half broken pre show where nothing works, yeah. and then you finally walk over to another pre show where the screens aren't turned on. But it's like you're facing these screens. But and then you walk over on. to an area that looks like backstage. Yeah, it's it's just real, all really confusing. And then you ride, and it's like, kind of like a simulator, which I did actually kind of like the ride. Yeah. Right? And then in the same building, you have Flying, flying Dreams. Dreams. It's a flying theater, which is actually also pretty good. It's just practically just, there's a Ferrari in front of you at all times, and it's just throwing, going to different landscapes. It's kind of like Soren, but then, you know, with a Ferrari in the shot at all times, which is, you know, it was cute, but the pre-show wasn't working. None of it was working, which is kind of frustrating yeah. part. You can spend so much time standing through these pre-shows that aren't actually working. And a theme park that opened in 2017 has expensive licensing, but all the money goes to the licensing and none of the money goes to the exactly. maintenance. And it's kind of think like, well, wouldn't Ferrari, the license, come in and say, like, fix this up? It doesn't look like our brand. It doesn't look high quality. Yeah. No, it appears that there is no such governing body. Like, Warner Brothers will come in and say, like, you got to repaint your DC theme roller coaster Six Flags. Or they'll come into Universal and be like, eh, the animatronic isn't working on this mm-hmm. ride of Harry Potter. Get it fixed. That sort yeah. of governing body or that sort of thread of another company mm-hmm. with the licensing being at risk doesn't exist at Portimonturo because for our land, it's just honestly kind of a poor shape. Yeah. Um, they have two SNS towers that are themed to drive pistons that are like pretty basic and, and blasé, especially in a resort that also has Huracan Condor. They have a, a drive a little car ride, like an aerodynamic style car ride, but uh, it broke down a lot and it always had a really long line because it's like the only standard family ride there. And then they have a little kitty area in the infield of um, of uh, Red Force. And then there's Red Force, which we did the uh, express pass to just get in, get out, get the credit. And um, it was a pretty good ride. The launch is a LSM launch, so it's a different kind of approach to the like Top Thrill Dragster King Ka style ride. It's definitely not as spectacular. Um, but then being in Europe without without anything else to really compare it to uh, style wise, it's probably quite impressive. I will say Red Force I actually liked. I think um, especially in in retrospect. I really enjoyed that that thing I was able to get to its speed using LSMs. It felt different. It was a punchy LSM that just went off forever. I was impressed. And then you get all the way up there and you have this absolutely magnificent view, view awesome. of the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it was gorgeous. I it was really enjoyable. were really good. And dispatches were great. There was always trains it's launching. Easy to film that ride exactly. because there, there was, was always a platform train. to watch it. Um, there's Junior Red Force below it, a mini roller coaster. It always that was the vibe. Like the vibe was this giant roller coaster that is just looming over the resort and in a really magnificent and significantly clean way. Despite there being so many flaws of clothes in that resort, I feel like Red Force was just uh, omnipresent in a great way. I really actually enjoyed that ride, yeah. off ride and on ride, quite a bit. We rode it once, and then like. The, the funny thing, you come into the brakes on that ride, and you hit the brakes, there's a, a definitely like a jolt, like, when you hit the brakes, and I remember feeling like I got, like, I don't, like, I don't know, it just, it, I felt like I got, like, a little headache from that, just from, as we were coming into the brakes, um, 
that was the one thing about the ride that I wasn't crazy about. But other than that, it was it was a really solid ride. And I was just grateful for how efficient it was because this park simply could not afford for this ride to not be consistent, like a well-oiled machine 100% of the time. So, Well, yeah, Red Forest just uh, sells the tickets, really. They really, it, they got that part right. It was the most important part, and they got that part right. And there's some other smaller attractions in the restaurants, but nothing really worth noting. But yeah, Farland, it's, it's, the nice thing is when you book a package at Port Aventura, which I definitely recommend if you're going to go to Port Aventura, don't make it a one-day thing. You'll be frustrated trying to get everything in. I really enjoyed having four days there. Even when it was really busy, you had to wait a couple hours for things. It just didn't feel like there was too much rush. The hotels are nice. The pools were nice. I enjoyed our included buffets that we did. It was overall, like, it was a good resort to take as a resort. I would not really recommend going there just as, like, a one-day theme park situation. It's easy to, like, get caught up in all the flaws when you just have one day trying to get it done. But if you have four days, will the flaws be obvious? Yes, but also there's less pressure. I really enjoyed having that time there. And Ferrari Land being an extra evening of something to do, it's a nice add-on. But just don't go into it expecting a theme park. Go into it expecting, you know, a couple more rides uh, that you have added on to it's your really ticket. It's a pavilion. Yeah, really <laughs> it is. charge extra for. And so in my little podcast playbook here, I, you know, I wrote down, talk about the biggest weaknesses. I think we discussed those plenty throughout the episode. Overall, encompassing statement I want to make about that is great bones, great history. The park has immense potential. It is a cool resort. I just don't feel like the quality of the new stuff is what it needs to be. And I don't feel like the resort is loved by its own management the way it should be. That's what I'm just going to say. Yeah. But I do want to also, I do want to finish the episodes with some of the strengths. I think some of the strengths include their coaster lineup. Of course, if you look at the European coaster lineup, both, both major yeah. Spanish parks have good lineups. And Puerto Vizuela is obviously no exception. Shambhala, amazing. Large, great roller coaster, good proportions. I think Red Force is awesome. Dragon Con, while well, absolutely not near my favorite, B&M. Solid looper, runs well, which is nice, you know, mm-hmm. no, not really any headbanging, like it runs pretty well. Great mine train, great log Mine train is incredible, awesome log flume. I think Stampeda and Tobahawk work. And um, drop tower-wise, one of my favorite drop towers in the world is yeah. Relic on Condor. Looks great. So there is a lot to appreciate, and I appreciate the scope of the park. You can wander around aimlessly for a couple hours and not see the same thing twice because the park is so large. And... And again, thanks to what the Bush company, Anheuser uh, Bush, was putting in there, it really is a gorgeous park, kind of like the other Bush Gardens parks. It's sprawling, it's gorgeous. You don't have to ride anything to enjoy the scenery. That's something I enjoy at Port Aventura, and it was a great resort. Yeah. Like as a resort guest, I enjoyed popping in and out of the park. Yeah, our pool. The time. hours were good. Like it was open late, long days. Go, you know, hang out all day, go to the pool, go to the buffet, whatever, and then go back to the park, ride some more things. Nighttime shows were good. Parade not included. That was awful. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, overall, I I enjoyed it from a resort guest aspect. The price was right. If you compare it to a big American resort, like Universal Land Resort, Walt Disney World, you're used to spending so much money for that that it felt like a decent price to me, despite it being kind of expensive, I think, on the European skills, though. Definitely. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I think you pretty much covered it. I don't have a whole lot to add other than that. I just love the the glimmers. There's underneath all the BS. There's these glimmers of Bush Gardens and glimmers of like Alton Towers, like from its Tussauds era, 
and glimmers of universal creative, like there has been legendary hands on this project. There's fingerprints of, of great design and infrastructure in this place. I mean, the fact that you've had three different amazing theme park management operating companies working on this park just inside of 10 years. Um, it has such a rich history and I just wish that, you know, I just wish things would shake up. I wish things would change. I wish it would go to a different management. I wish any of the previous managements that this park had would take over. Or if, if a new management team came in, like Park is Radio Nidos would be awesome. Company this Alps, like I would think, I mean, sometimes the grass isn't always greener, but it, you know, it's been about, it's been almost 20 years since, the last management shakeup. And I just feel like surely they could do better. There's got to be a better governing opportunity for this resort than what's currently happening. It's yeah. If you're listening, you need another park. I mean, you know, what? So Efteling, if you're listening, Oh you yeah, please. Park. Oh my God. You know, the resort thing. <laughs> They're pretty good about the concept. Fantasialand. I mean, anybody, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Europa, Universal, I'm begging you. Like you somebody, so somebody back. make this company an offer they can't refuse and put this place out of its misery. Wow, it's so dark. <laughs> I mean, by elevating it from its... Deliver it from its misery. <laughs> Don't kill it. <laughs> <laughs> Elevate. <laughs> and with that, we want to end our Inside Quarter with Zero World episode. Make sure you listen to our previous episode of this season. Which is the Velocicoaster versus Batman versus Tutatis versus Pantheon in whichever order. That is our previous episode. That's the launch episode of the season. We've got a lot more of our inside episodes coming up, including Parker Warner, King's Dominion, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, Moray Spears. We're gonna do it all. That'll be this season. Follow us on threads if you haven't yet, because you know it's new. Instagram, YouTube, all of our vlogs, including our Spain vlogs, are on there. We've got our TikTok, Facebook, and of course, the coasterkings.com. And for now, I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.